you ready, eager young space cadet? Meep, meep. I call a pussy Hello and welcome to Of Course You Realize This Means Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Graves, and with me today, I'm very proud to introduce you to Dave Lee. He is uh, also known as Dave Lee Down Under, and he's on YouTube covering Looney Tunes and all things animation. Uh, He's a big fan of Disney as well. Thank you, Dave, for coming to the show. How are you doing? No, I'm great. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. Really, uh, really great to be here. Great to chat with a fellow Looney Tunes fan. So, always up for it. Anytime, yeah. Anytime you want to come back, just let me know. Absolutely. And uh, you, so you started with with Disney animation first. Well, pretty much, yeah. Um, a lot of my study in in animation over the years has really been um, Disney focused. So, with the last, uh, I guess, decade or so that I've really been heavily studying animation it's really been focused on on the disney side of things um it's only more recently last two three years that i've more heavily been focused on um on looney tunes as well but yeah my, my channel actually my i started my channel as a essentially was a disney fan channel initially um and just kind of used that used my knowledge of disney and and whatever to kind of grow myself a fan base and then kind of branched out from there um, so yeah, m- most of my content now is actually sort of split between, um, Looney Tunes, Disney and kind of other animated studios, classic, classic animation. It's really where my, um, I guess my passion is. That's great. Yeah. I- I'm a big fan of Disney animation as well. Grew up with it. And I, I had both in my life through childhood and adolescence and, and into adulthood. So yeah. I, I have that same respect and reverence for the classics, uh, on both sides of it. And yeah. I've had other guests that also love Disney and, um, you know, it's, it's a part of our, our history, you know, like coming yeah, up with, uh, animation of any kind is yeah. always saturated with either Disney or Warner brothers or both. Oh, for sure. I think the the, the funniest thing for me, um, in, um, really heavily studying the, the kind of the, I guess the Warners, the Looney Tunes side of things, or even when you go to other studios like the Flyasher studio or, um, you know, any of the other, the big studios that were doing animation in the golden age, you kind of, when you're researching it and you get more heavily in depth into it, you start to, you start to notice patterns between the, for example, the Schlesinger studio and, and, and the Disney studio at that time. So essentially my, my knowledge of the Disney studio has provided a really great backbone for the history of animation. So you start to see, well, something happened at the Warner Brothers studio at this specific time, and you go, hang on a minute, they did that at Disney like a year earlier. And you start noticing these patterns where all the studios are kind of just following each other and replicating each other. And I mm-hmm. think it's just quite, it's absolutely fascinating. So to it's almost like little pieces of this grand puzzle, which I'm, I'm learning now, just the history of grand animation and how everyone drew from everyone else. And really, essentially, everyone's following Walt Disney. You know, there's this stretch of period where, especially in that very early, you know, 1930s, late 1920s, everyone's just following whatever Walt Disney's doing and trying to catch up. And then it gets to this period where everyone sort of um, found their own. 
and off mm-hmm. on, often doing their own things. There's this real dividing point there where everyone just kind of splits up. I think it's just it's just absolutely fascinating. Yeah, you can totally see the reaction from Warner Brothers after Silly Symphonies took took off, and oh, yeah. they wanted to do their own version, and that's yeah. how you get Merry Melodies and yeah, and exactly. on and on. Uh, but I wanted to highlight your Evolution series. Uh, if you want yes. to tell our listeners a bit about that and how that came about. All right. Well, essentially, I do a series. It's called Cartoon Evolution. Um, and each episode focuses on a different cartoon character from the golden age of animation. I've kind of pushed it a little bit into like the 1960s. So I'm touching on some like Hanna-Barbera stuff as well. Um, but it's mostly focused on golden age of animation. So 1920s through the, you know, 1940. 1940s early 1950s um the, the series actually began as a, a a series of disney uh videos where i would talk about i should say the series focuses on an individual character and i kind of break down their history um where they came from the inspirations behind them how the artists the animators created the characters and how they've kind of grown over time and just kind of touching on all the important parts of their history and the evolution not only of their design but of of the character themselves um and kind of i go into like these tangents kind of like the political side of things how uh social uh norms of the periods have influenced the characters how the characters have influenced pop culture all that kind of stuff so really i leave no stone unturned in a space of between 20 to 40 minutes. Uh, the series essentially began as a series of Disney expo- uh, explorations of Disney characters, and they were like incredibly popular for my channel. And um, off the back of those, I then went into doing uh, Looney Tunes and Hanna-Barbera and um, ones on Flasher characters and just kind of dipping my toes into really, really anywhere I can when it comes to the classic animated characters. It's an absolute blast, it's r- real fun to make. Fantastic. And I know that you have recently done a Roadrunner and Wiley e. Coyote one, which we are going to look into uh, a alternate reality of if, you know, those shorts continued, what would have been like if this new character that was introduced into the game, the world of mayhem was yeah. in that reality. And uh, I want to get your take on maybe a story element or two that could have been explored with that idea. Yeah. But first we're going to discuss some Looney Tunes news. Awesome. Be very, very quiet. I'm hunting wabbits. (laughs) Looney Tunes are not always in the news cycle and not always making a cultural impact, but right now they they very much are. With the uh, current Elmer Fudd no guns policy, the the current creatives have established in the new cartoons. And Mm -hmm. this was established long ago, two, three years ago, whenever they were being talked about, discussed, created, and planned. And this was probably a reaction to all the shootings that were happening around that time. And they just wanted to kind of clean the airwaves of any gun use for any, you know, kids watching this or, you know, um, those nostalgic adults. Uh, mm-hmm. as we are and yeah. um yeah so i just wanted to get your take on that and i know you recently did a video on it as well which yes. i highly recommend our listeners go and watch it is a fantastic breakdown of what's going on and uh do do these characters really need guns yeah well the the, the crux of the the problem for a lot of people is a lot of people are 
you know, we're living in this in this time where people will read a headline and then won't read anything else. Right. So essentially people, you know, it's so easy to just scroll through Twitter. And I think we're all, uh, we've all done it from time to time. We just scroll through Twitter and we see a headline. We go, hang on a minute. And then don't bother to, you know, click on the link and actually go into it. Right. So for me, I, I find a lot of people... Um, who maybe haven't read read the actual articles or haven't seen the shorts themselves think that the that think that the problem is the Looney Tunes are being cleaned up or they're being watered down or you know what some of the the people out there on the internet might call woke or you know any of that kind of stuff. Um, but that's really not it at all because these shorts are, are incredibly violent. These oh, are yeah. ultra ultra violent shorts. I mean, there's some stuff in in here that you wouldn't have even seen in the classic shorts. And I think you look at that pest coaster short where Yosemite Sam is grabbing on the back of the roller coaster and the skin rips off the skeleton. Right. And it's just kind of flapping in the background. So the the issue here isn't about violence. This is not an issue about trying to clean up violence. It is, as you said, a reaction to specifically gun violence in America. And I mean, this is a political rabbit hole. We could we could go down, but we won't. Let's not um, go down but, too much. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly right. <laughs> but um, but it's obviously is is a reaction to um, what's going on in society with gun violence and all this stuff. And I think um, I think it's a it's a it's a welcome change. The guns aren't needed, as I said. These are ultra violent shorts to begin with. And we just watched the um, the. The fourth episode of the of the Looney Tunes cartoons, which was uh, features a Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd short, exactly. and no gun inside, and it's brilliant. Yeah, it's hilarious. You you start to realize this is a character that doesn't need the gun. You know, the the gun is this iconic part of his design and and the character. You know, we all imagine him in his hunter outfit with the with the rifle or the shotgun, and um, you watch a short like that and you realize he doesn't need it. You know, he doesn't need it 100% of the time. And I, I think it was said best by one of the storyboard artists that the the idea of a hunter welding a gun is so ingrained in a specific persona that yes. the, the creatives have already exhausted all of the creative ideas out of that. And now it's really refreshing to see him not use a gun, but he's yeah. still Elmer Fudd. He's still oh, exactly the character right. that you love and he's you know, got the same outfit. He just uses mm-hmm. different weapons and different things, different things to, to try to catch this rabbit. And it's really refreshing and comedically rich. Like I, I don't find oh, a false note in it whatsoever. And that's one of the yeah. things that easily gets overlooked. And I'm also seeing a lot of articles that are specifically talking about the scythe that he uses yeah, in, yeah. in the very first released <laughs> uh, short online called dynamite dance i've done yeah. a mini review on it mm-hmm. and basically he uses that scythe for maybe a total of 15 seconds oh yeah and it's gone it doesn't come yeah. back and it's not in any of the other shorts it's just a visual gag and mm-hmm. it's really funny to see him wielding it for yeah. you know that short very short amount of time but he's going to use other things. He uses a yeah. net in what we just watched yeah. uh, where Bugs is trying to get into his pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has used cannons before. He has used yeah. uh, flowers. Like He has used a number of things that you wouldn't yeah. necessarily associate with a hunter, but it still works. And also, yeah. I'm pretty fond of his uh, spear and magic helmet. 
yeah, yeah. Well, well exactly right. And, and, and going back to that short we just watched, he also used an axe. He mm-hmm. pulled out a pitchfork and... The pool axe. It's just, the, yeah, the pool axe. <laughs> <laughs> I was just... It's, this is what I mean. I mean, that very first short that was released and alongside that short they released was essentially a frame grab of him holding the scythe and that became one of the very first first look images of this Looney Tunes cartoons. <clears throat> and that has been attached to all of these articles. Yeah. And people see a picture of him with a scythe and they say, no more guns in Looney Tunes. They're just going to go off on a, you know, go off on one without actually looking into it. I, I watched this video. There's this great YouTuber called 3C Films, guy by the name of Chris Parker, a really great guy. And he did a very small video on this as well. And he, he, he stole a quote from... Um, the Marvel film Spider-Man, Far, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. And I pinched this and used it in my video as well. I'm going to use it again here. And this is during the kind of middle act of the film where Peter Parker has gone up against a bunch of criminals really for the first time. He's in out of his head. He's using this suit. He's incredibly irresponsible. And just all hell breaks loose on this ferry in New York on the way to, you know, the Staten Island, uh, the Staten Island Ferry. Mm-hmm. And all hell breaks loose, the ferry rips in half, and he's just completely in, in over his head and just loses control of the situation. Tony Stark has to come in and fix the situation in the Iron Man suit. And at the end of it, he essentially scolds Peter and says to him, like, what are you doing? You can't be doing this. I'm going to take away the suit because you're incredibly irresponsible. And Peter says, you can't take away the suit because without the suit, I'm, I'm nothing. And Tony says to him, well, if you're nothing without the suit, you don't deserve it. So we apply this to Alma Fudd and you go, well, if Alma Fudd is nothing without the gun, then, you know, he's, he's nothing. He's nothing. Exactly. And we don't like, we don't, we don't love Alma Fudd because he's got a gun. We love Alma Fudd because he's Alma Fudd. Right. And the gun is not, the gun is inherently part of this design, this iconic look that we all know, but it's not inherent to his character. So he doesn't need that gun. And again, I'm going to steal another Marvel reference from Thor Ragnarok, where Thor is about to go up again at, uh, at the end of the film, where he's about to go up against the army of the undead and the goddess of death. And he goes off into this um, dreamscape and goes and talks to his father, Odin, king of Asgard. And Odin says, you know, you need to go down there and, and sort the situation. He says, I can't, I don't have my hammer. Because at the beginning of the film, his ha- hammer's been desecrated. And so don't have my hammer, I can't, I can't go up against this like, army of the undead. And Odin says to him, what are you, Thor, the, the, the god of hammers? The hammer is not the source of your power, it's just a conduit that essentially you use to focus that power. So again, apply that to Al-Mufad, his power is not in his gun, it's just, uh, it's just a vestibule to focus, this, to focus various points of humour. And as you said, over 80 years... Whatever humor you can get out of this guy using a gun has been exhausted. You need yeah. to find new avenues, new ways of of um, of making this guy funny using different things. And you go to Chuck Jones's Eleven Rules for writing the Roadrunner. I mean, in sixty odd shorts that he did in the Golden Age of Animation, um, they repeated these same gags over and over and over again, but with different outcomes and different different uh, different punchlines and it's all about working on um, the audience anticipation and flipping that on its head doing something a bit early than they expect doing something a bit later than they expect not doing something that you're expecting so what they're doing with these new shorts essentially is taking this character and just finding new ways to tell old jokes you can tell the same jokes just you don't need to have that gun there and like I said we just watched that last short and 
I did. I honestly didn't think once. Oh, he doesn't have his gun. Exactly. You know, you're just watching it and you're going, this is, it's just great. And I think that the, the jokes that the, that the, uh, the creators and the writers, the storytellers on this show are getting out of these characters is fantastic. And these characters have been in hundreds of shorts over almost a hundred years. And for them to still be able to pulling, you know, still be able to pull fresh ideas and fresh jokes and stuff is fantastic. And it's just a, one way of them to be able to do that, make these, you know, these things a little bit fresh. 100%. You, you said it perfectly, and thank you for those analogies from the MCU. I'm a big, yes. I'm a big fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and uh, having those examples be associated here is just perfect. It, it, yeah. it cop- encapsulates the importance of character over the, the oh, yeah. conduit, you know? Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't need a gun to, to have a comedic moment. It's, yeah. And it's, it's not like he's going around shooting other things. Or it's a part of survival because it's not. It has never been that. It's just a comedic device. And yeah, you said it perfectly. And uh, I'm glad that you brought that to the show. And um, thank you very much. Let's let's chat. (laughs) (laughs) And since we are already talking about Pool Bunny, uh, let's transition into episode four of the Looney Tunes cartoons. This has one of my favorite. Uh, one of my favorite Sylvester and Tweety gags uh, within yeah. this show. Um, so it starts with Sylvester and Tweety in Pain in the Ice, and, which is a fantastic pun. And it has <laughs> Sylvester, who is very desperate for food. And he's looking in cans and finding uh, badgers, <laughs> ironically. <laughs> and he's uh, he's just drooling all over himself for, for Tweety, who is... Uh, away from granny and skating on ice and it's just adorable and it turns very vicious from sylvester sylvester's perspective because he really wants to eat this bird and the way that they have these ice jokes um just come about is really fun i really loved where he uses his claws to catch himself on the ice because cats are inherently uh, clumsy on ice, but they have claws, and so he sticks to, you know, he sticks to the ground. And then Tweety just spins him around, and he gets, <laughs> he gets on his own circle, and then it just floats under. Yeah. And I, I just love that idea, and I love that visual, and I love how the uh, execution came about. Um, yeah. Again, here we have uh, Eric Bauza doing the voice of Tweety, knocking it out of the park. Um, I like. Is there anything false? Uh, to you about the character representation here or the the way that this short plays out because i i can't i can't find anything this is just perfect absolutely not i mean i've seen i've probably seen less of these than you because we don't have hbo max here um in australia yet but um from what i've seen which is everything they've um uploaded online and whatever and we just watched the uh that fourth episode together um there's been nothing in this where I've actually thought, oh, that's that's not right. That's you know, that's off brand or whatever. I feel like um, I did a small review on the on the Looney Tunes cartoons a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago, and one thing that I kind of pointed out was that over the years, the Looney Tunes characters really have. I mean, you go back to the golden age, and you've got all these animators, all these storytellers telling their own different stories. Uh, we've got different storytellers in charge of different units, whether that's Chuck mm-hmm, Jones sure. or Fritz Friedling or, you know, Tex Avery, Robert Clampett, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and each artist brought such a different style to their cartoons. 
And the Looney Tunes style was never one thing. It was never one artist. You know, the thing that we recognize as Looney Tunes is just all these different artists producing all these different kinds of characters, all these different kinds of comedy situations. Over the years, I felt that maybe that style got a bit more homogenized. If you talk about the stuff from over the 80s right through to even today, mm -hmm, um, sure. it's this real homogenized kind of Looney Tunes style that kind of blends everything together. And it's made this really sort of um, really recognizable style of Looney Tunes. But with this with this new series, they've gone back to this idea of a creator-led stories. They've got these different creators, different artists and um, directors and stuff on board creating all these different shorts. And I think that's the heart of the Looney Tunes, the, the heart of the Looney Tunes cartoons. So you've got different voices behind it. And I think they're pulling so much inspiration from the original guys who made the cartoons in the classic era, putting their own little spins on it. But when they do that, it's it's nothing that goes against the grain. It's all very much in line with those classic shorts. I think they're fantastic. From what I've seen, I think they're, I think they're brilliant. Yeah, and just to shout out the creative team behind this one, because it is always changing. The director of uh, Pain in the Ice is David Gimmel. The uh, story team is David Gimmel, Johnny Ryan, and Pete Browngard, who's also the executive producer of these shorts. And the voice cast is Eric Bowser as Tweety, Jeff Bergman as Sylvester, and Candy Milo as Granny. And it's just phenomenal. The timing, the character designs. I love the big Yeti monster, the big bear. Yeah. That he looks like a combination of a Yeti and a bear. It's like a giant polar yeah. bear. And he's just so vicious uh, to Sylvester. And and I don't know. I just I, I think that they are really knocking these out of the park. Um, and also the music by Carl Johnson is perfect. And you yeah. even have oh, Tweety singing uh, one of those classic songs that Tweety always sung. Like, yeah, you know, like he's he's just so happy-go-lucky, and I feel like they they nail the characters in this, and the the darker comedy just oozes out of it. Oh, one of my other favorite gags is whenever Sylvester is in a block of ice, and Tweety just cracks yeah. it, and Sylvester <laughs> just snaps in half. It's so violent. It's it's such a violent image, but it's oh, it's so in keeping with the tone and and everything that they established within the series. So yeah, but that's that's the thing about those those classic shorts. It's just not it's not one element. It's so many different elements. It just works. And whether that's the writing of the story team, the animation of the artist, the like impeccable timing. It's all about timing. Those shorts that that comedy comes from the timing and the anticipation of the audience. And then of course, Carl Starling's incredible scores that he used to produce for these shorts you know incredibly oh, yeah. classically inspired cinematic shorts everything and the, the voice performances whether that be from mel blank or mel blank or mel blank <laughs> you know just everything melded together to make these incredibly fantastic little pieces of uh, of cinema and again here they have paid so much attention to that they've broken these shorts down and gone all right what do we need to focus on to make these work we need great music we need great characterization great great um vogue performance great animation great timing great uh, everything has just kind of come together and uh, i think they're brilliant and they're really really good exactly and that actually reminded me of my favorite uh voice duo back in the olden in days uh whenever it was mel blank working off mel blank I felt yeah. like he was really able to, to get in the zone with, with those, yeah. those uh, characters. Speaking of, you know, Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote, we have a new version of that with a small gag. It's it's a bumper in this mm -hmm. episode. And 
I, I wish it was longer. That's my only complaint is that I mm-hmm. wish all of these were longer. But um, yeah, oh, yeah, so Tunnel Vision, mm-hmm. which I've already covered on the yeah. show. I, I'll briefly go over it. Uh, again, directed by Ryan Kramer. He directed this one. And the next one we're going to talk about story by Johnny Ryan and Ryan Kramer. And there are no voices here because Wiley Coyote and Rodner do not speak. Uh, but the music is done by Carl Johnson again. And it, it's just, I really love... Oh, I, I actually, uh, there's an archive sound of the beep beep from uh, Paul Julian, yeah. which you talked about in the Evolution series. Yes, I did. Yes, I just, this last month, I do an episode a month. Uh, on the first Tuesday of every month, I load an episode. Um, and this month, I was actually talking about Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. So that um, you know, the archive sound of Paul Julian doing the doing the meep meep, you know, <laughs> it's essentially the same sound that's been used for the last, you know, 70 odd years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the story behind that is um, that uh, when they were developing the Roadrunner and Coyote characters, uh, they were trying to find a sound for the Roadrunner and um, Chuck Jones heard Paul Julian, who was a background artist at the studio, walking through the studio with a massive background painting, you know, blindly trying to clear his path, as Chuck Jones said, and just letting out, meep, 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 get out of the way, get out of the way, sort of thing. Um, and Jones heard it and went, that's the sound, that's it. That's that's the sound of the Roadrunner. Yeah, and, a good uh, there's a quote it. from Yeah, oh absolutely. I mean, as an artist, you're obviously just soaking in everything that's going on and he's gone, That's it. I have to have that sound and I can't have anyone other than him record it. They brought him in, did like one recording session, and that's the sound that's been used for you know seventy odd years. That's back here again. What a legacy. Yeah. Um so <laughs> so Tunnel Vision is this really fun gag where uh, Wiley Coyote uses the classic paint on a boulder or mm-hmm. rock, and he hopes that the Roadrunner will run into it and die, essentially, so he can have some yeah. dinner. And the Roadrunner goes right through, as predicted. But what's mm-hmm. unpredicted is how the Wiley Coyote character goes into the rock as well, and then he can't mm-hmm. get out. Yeah. And I thought that well, was really get- fun. I thought that was brilliant. I mean, when I watched that, I just that's the one thing that absolutely sold me on the series. The, mm. That one short. Um, and again, you go back to the idea of, especially in those Wiley Coyote Roadrunner shorts, you know, it's Chuck Jones playing on the audience anticipation. Um, and again, they, there was like five or six gags in that short, five or six setups in those shorts. And the way that they were able to pay off those gags so differently in every short is what makes them so incredible. I mean, how many times have we seen the paint on the, on the side of a rock face gag? Hundreds oh, it, of times. Yeah. Handful. Hundreds of times. Yeah. And Chuck Jones, the whole, the whole crux behind that was like, we had this one setup, and as I said earlier, you play on what the audience is expecting. And when I'm watching this, I'm going, all right, I've seen this gag before, what are they going to do? He's going to run through the rock, the rock face, and then Wiley Coe is going to slam into the side of the rock or whatever, as has happened, you know, however many other times. Mm-hmm. But the little twist that they put on it, I just thought was so in line with all the things that Chuck Jones used to play around with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, however many times he presented that one gag, that something different happened. And the whole idea is to have the audience go, I've seen this before. I know what's going to happen here. And then it just flips it on its head. And then just taking that idea of that and somehow thinking of something that was never done before by Chuck Jones or anyone else who, you know, did any shorts following him. I thought it was brilliant. Oh, having the, yeah, and, uh, it ending with the Roadrunner washing it away. Oh, and, yeah, and that's uh, another element where you're like, oh, God, I wasn't expecting that either. Right, you know? right. Element upon element upon element. 
And it, it's so in line with the rules that Chuck had created for these shorts. Yeah. And I think that it plays it brilliantly. It's so oh, respectful absolutely. and very revenant of, you know, what came beforehand and respectful. Yeah. Well, that's that classic Looney Tunes humor, isn't it? You know, you think yeah. one thing's going to happen and then something else happens and you go, okay, it's not going to happen. But then it does happen. It just happens a little bit later than you expect it. Right. Or it just doesn't happen at all. And then all these other little things happen, you know, and it's just... I think they've got the crux of that down just so just so perfectly. I don't know if you noticed, there was a brief moment where the Roadrunner goes off the road and gets some water. And I was like, who put that water fountain there? Like, yeah. <laughs> that is so random. And also, yeah. they made it to where a Roadrunner can access it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just amazing. Uh, and the last short that we have in this episode is the the titular one the the pool bunny that we have already discussed a, a couple times here but um i want to you know dissect this one a little bit more <laughs> i'm sure this nice homeowner won't mind sharing his pool with the local wildlife if there's one thing i have zero tolerance for it's sharing my pool with the local wildlife <laughs> directed by ryan kramer and story by Andy Gonzalez, Ryan Kramer, and Johnny Ryan. Uh, music by C- Carl Johnson. Carl Johnson's just like knocking it out of the park. Uh, oh, yeah. Every time he shows up, I'm like, oh, yeah, the music was fantastic. <laughs> and um, yeah, so this is the Bugs Bunny Elmer Fudd. Bugs is in a desert in the middle of a heat wave, and he really wants to cool <laughs> off. And so he finds Elmer Fudd's pool who Elmer isn't using it at the moment. He's just kind of cleaning it. And uh, and Bugs just kind of leaps and, you know, takes it over. And uh, one thing Elmer hates is, you know, the wildlife getting in- inside his pool. <laughs> um, it's a perfect setup. It's, it's It really goes to show that, you know, Bugs will enter a situation that looks to be calm and peaceful, but automatically it becomes uh, hyper-violent and, uh, showing intolerance from another character. He did the same thing in Pest Coaster, where yeah. uh, Yosemite actually had on the list, it says, no liberals, like, no, <laughs> no, no rabbits, no animals. Like, like he, all of these intolerant characters are just telling on themselves whenever they have yeah. you know, Bugs Bunny show up. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's very much a sign of the times, but also it just adds for the comedy. So, um, this, yeah, he doesn't use a gun and it's still hilarious. He uses a pool net to launch bugs and he, bugs gets launched into a cactus and then (laughs) onto the side of a mountain. And like, it's just, it's great comedic fun. And, uh, I really love all of the, uh, like the fourth wall breaks. There's a moment where, and I love this where Elmer goes, you already swam in this picture. I'm not going to fall yeah. for that where Bugs is pretending to drown. And, yeah. uh, and then he falls for it and he goes, okay, do you have any last requests? Uh, and Bugs goes, can I make a phone call to tell my wife that I'm dying? And he's like, of course, of course. And he gives him his phone. And that's whenever the, the, from the teaser trailer, he goes, bring the kids. And then yeah. all the little bunnies hop in the pool. I, I, it's just, it's so classic. It's so clever. And I, I feel like these are modern classics. Like, there's no oh, way that these are not going to be revered oh. in 10, 20 years from now. Yeah, yeah. They, they, are, they are fantastic. Um, and there's, <clears throat> again, so much they pulled from the classic shorts here. You know, that gag of, that, 
as we were talking about before, these are character-focused pieces. If the characters don't work, the pieces don't work. Mm -hmm. And we have to be in love with Bugs Bunny. If Bugs Bunny doesn't work, this whole series doesn't work. No, he's like the heart of the Looney Tunes. Um, And Bugs Bunny in this is just so perfect. And Eric Bowser's performance of Bugs Bunny is incredible here. And I think he's been doing Bugs Bunny for, what, a decade, however long it's been. Um, Who, Eric Bowser? And... Eric Bowser, yeah. No, this is just this is his first time doing Bugs. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, and, oh, wow. Okay, so his performance as Bugs is is brilliant, mm-hmm. and it just sounds so classic, so amazing. Um, and what I really loved is that gag with um, uh, with 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 Bugs drowning in the pool, and Alba realizes, oh no, I've done something. I've done something really bad. I've actually killed it. Right. You know, this is a character that you're rooting against. But then he has a heart as well. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, okay, I feel bad for you now. You just killed this guy, you know? And then Bugs springs back to life. And that's that classic gag from those classic shorts too. Oh, yeah. And it's the idea of not making a villain out of any of your characters. You know, however villainous they are, however horrible they are to, to the other characters um, in the short, they've always got a heart and you always come out going, oh, well, I love both of them. And that's... You know that's like, that's how this short here works. You, there's no there's no clear cut villain because essentially Bugs Bunny has you know broken entered into Elmer Fudd's house. <laughs> he's swimming around in his pool. He goes to the water and and gas place and turns his turns his water off. He's a pest. Oh yeah. But you love him. Yeah. And Elmer Fudd is essentially <laughs> just protecting his house and protecting his pool. Like get out of here. What are you doing, annoying rabbit? So the, you don't create a clear-cut villain between any of your characters, and they all have a heart, and they all have a reason for doing what they're doing, and you all you fall in love with all of them by by the end of it. And I think that's just the the the, the humor in that just works so so wonderfully, and they've I, got that down just so so perfectly here. Oh, absolutely! And as much as I love Eric Bowser's bugs, Jeff Bergman's Elmer in this is just oh. as funny and on point. I love the extended gag of him taking off his sandals and his feet burning. <laughs> yeah, those flip flops have been out of style for at least three decades. Really? In fact, I wouldn't be caught dead wearing those things. Oh, well, I was just about to take them off. Oh, oh, gracious. Oh, the cement is wet hot. Yeah, Doc, that sun ain't fooling around. Better put on some sunscreen. Oh, my eyes. Oh, now I can't see. Oh, ow. We gotta get you to the diving board. This way. Oh, no, Doc. Watch out for those jacks. Keep moving, Doc. But don't step on those mouse traps. Oh, ow, ow, oh, ow. It's just, it's an ongoing gag that really gets funnier as you watch it and as it plays out. And I really enjoyed that. I wish we had gotten like that, that button of it where he goes into the snake pit, but him showing up with the snakes biting his, his bald head is just, uh, it's a great visual. And uh, it really shows that he went through a lot. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's that whole buddy system part where it it takes like this, uh, set, secondary turn of Bugs is now a lifeguard <laughs> and Elmer's just like okay I have a lifeguard at my own pool sure and uh, he's, he's the lifeguard or Bugs is, as the lifeguard's like you need a buddy and so then he's like alright I gotta find a buddy it's just this whole segment that yeah. just works and it's so funny and uh-huh. I, I yeah I what did you just think of layer this? Upon <laughs> la- oh, layer upon layer upon layer 
And that's how you do a Looney Tunes cartoon. Again, yes. you you just keep on going until the audience just... You know, you go in expecting something to happen and by the end of it, it's just so far removed from anything you ever thought was going to happen. <laughs> yes. And, you know, the idea of Bugs Bunny dressing up and being a character and just essentially intimidating Alma Fudd. Like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be swimming in the pool and whatever, you know. And just those little character things of Bugs Bunny, whether that's him dressing up in drag or dressing up as a as another character and intimidating someone. It's so... And I, I just loved how this was just layer, 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 layer. And by the end of it, you're like, what what is this? Like, what am I watching? This is crazy. It's insane. I, I also want to point out, Eric Bauza is doing another voice on top of his bugs for the lifeguard. And... Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. That is a level that that uh mel blank perfected and i feel like yeah. eric bowser is just like every every time i hear it he's like climbing t- closer and closer yeah. to overtaking what oh. uh that what, what was established yeah. and he, he's just right under him right now like right under uh yeah. what mel blank had established and oh. eric bowser is just like putting his own spin on it and i yeah. love it it's it's so authentic it comes off as yeah. so authentic to me yeah, there's this. There's a brilliant interview on YouTube with uh, it was on the David Letterman show. Must have been like mid 1980s with Mel Blanc, and actually talking about the exact same thing. Was Letterman said to him, "How do you keep coming up with so many voices? You know, you've done thousands of voices." And he says, "Because it's unlimited. You can take one character and apply so many different accents to that character that you've created a new voice." So you can play Bugs Bunny as someone who, you know, the, the original Bugs Bunny voice was an amalgamation of the, the Brooklyn and the Bronx accent kind of thrown together. Right. But then you can make Bugs Bunny French, you know, a French Bugs Bunny or an Italian Bugs Bunny, you know? Mm-hmm. And Daffy Duck, you can have his regular accent, but then you can have like a, a French Daffy Duck or whatever. It's just layer apart, again, more layers of stuff. And Eric Bowser has been able to do it so wonderfully right here. Yeah, and it's it's phenomenal work. Uh, across the board, phenomenal work on this creative team. And yeah. I can't wait to see more. Yeah, And I can't wait for you to see HBO Max as a I whole. I know. <laughs> I know. Come I know. on, Warner Brothers, they... release it in Australia. <laughs> I know. I don't know what's going on. I know our local cable provider, Foxtel, has um, the rights to all the exclusive stuff. So they're getting like, um, it's sort of being, I guess, parceled out to the to the cable provider here. But there's still no word on Looney Tunes, or I imagine they're probably going to end up playing it on Cartoon Network or Boomerang or something. Mm. But I just want it now. Give right. it to me now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're all desperate for more content. Absolutely. So let's move on to the latest news in the world of Mayhem, which is a new character release uh, for the Revenant Roadrunner, which is currently going on in the game right now uh the world of mayhem is a mobile app game you can download on all ios devices uh as well as the uh the google play app you can also use on your pc um so right now they have a campaign called the specter series and in that you can unlock pieces to gain uh access to a train to the astral plane if you will to unlock the uh conductor of the ghost train which is the revenant roadrunner Uh, His story in the game goes as follows. Through the shrill wind of the desert night, a deep rumble can be heard in the distance, splitting the dunes apart. A blinding blue light explodes in the horizon from the corner of your eyes, then fades away just as quickly. 
You're being haunted by the Revenant Roadrunner, who has come back from an unexplained place in his wandering ghost train to grant his strength to all monsters and to deliver crits upon the world. Without a proper monster hunter by your side, your fate is sealed. Uh, the epic or the Reverend Roadrunner is an epic character. He is an attacker of the desert region, and his nemesis is. I'm sure you can guess the Wily e. Coyote and all of the various Wily e. Coyote tunes within the game. Uh, he has a skill set that reads as follows. He has a ride the phantom rails, which is a basic attack rattling passage, which is a special attack toot toot special attack as well. Ghost train running a passive skill ticket to glide passive skill and his strength is an archetype passive. So overall, this is a very fun character that they just announced and is currently being actively played uh, for in the game. And uh, I'm, I'm actively trying to unlock him. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, his design is pretty cool. He has like this phantom era about him. Um, did, you, uh, did you take a look at the, the picture, picture did, of him yeah. I sent? Yeah. yeah, it looks awesome. Wouldn't it have been great if if uh, Chuck Jones and the team did one of these? Oh man, uh, it's just so artistically brilliant that the the gags just kind of leap out of it, doesn't it? I mean, you've got the <clears throat> those original shorts. You know, one of their rules was to never leave the desert, mm-hmm. but they broke that rule. You know, once or twice, um, especially with uh, Freeze Frame, which was that like late '80s short, right? Um, where it was in the was in the desert, but it was during winter a where frozen wasteland in snow, frozen, yeah frozen <laughs> wasteland um but they could have done so much with like a a ghostly version of the uh, of of you know the, the the desert which would have been you know road runner as a running the ghost train trying to chase down wily e. coyote i mean there could have been like millions of gags that could have come out of that oh totally i know what, what could have been right but i'm yeah. glad that we have this creative team currently working at scopely that's coming up with you know, these ideas of, I've actually um, talked to some of them and they really want to get inside the characters and be like, what would the creative team have done that they didn't do? And let's do that and put that in the game. That's why I love covering this game because they have such a creative mindset over there. And I really hope that the current Looney Tunes cartoons team is able to look at some of these and be like, oh, maybe we can Mm. adapt that story idea. Yeah, we'll see. I don't. I don't see any evidence of that happening, but one could yeah. hope. You know. Well, exactly right. There's got to be some sort of, you know, creative mutual agreement there. I mean, they're working with the same characters and everything. It would be crazy not to sort of, you know, work in tandem with each other and sort of, uh, yeah, when they're making more of these things. Totally agree. So now I want to hear from our sponsors. We're going to turn it over to Acme. Acme. It's where you buy your anvils. Hi, welcome to Acme. Uh, how can I help you? Oh, hello there. I got a, uh, a, a, a one of my clients uh, would like a uh, one of your water fountains. So I just a... oh yes, we have a variety of them. Uh, what what's the location? Uh, in, in the middle of the desert. Do you have plumbing, or is this uh, uh, 
like an eight month job where I have to put in plumbing as well. Well, we were, we were thinking you'd probably, you know, have to put in the plumbing as well. I can't say too much about oh, okay. it. My uh, my client is very uh, very secretive, uh, but yes, we would need we would need the plumbing put in. There's nothing out there as you can Got imagine. It's a silly question. Yeah, I, I wouldn't imagine there's uh, nothing out there but rocks and boulders and holes. And uh, so w- w- uh, who's going to be using this? As I said, it's my client. I can't say too much about him. He's very secretive. Um, but all I can say, though, is just be careful of the boulders. All right, will do. And will this just be thumb-operated water fountain like all the other ones? Uh, well... <laughs> My client doesn't exactly have opposable thumbs, but um, so try and make it non-opposable, if possible. I don't know what that means. Um, we have a variety of, of different thumb devices. Uh, do, do they just have... Sp- uh, you just, you're, not, you're not understanding me. My, my client does not have thumbs. Okay. Well, I guess we can see about some foot-operated water fountains then that could that could work he has feet does your client have feet yes yes he does okay he has feet perfect i will put in your order right away and uh where are you located again uh out in the out in the desert is there is there a number to uh... no no i I can't get i can't give you that over the phone i can send that to you uh but uh it's just in the desert again be careful those the boulders uh be there's some Anvils floating around out there too, so be careful of them. Um, oh, if I you see. see. This is what a... looks like a tunnel. Don't run through it. Just be very careful when you're out there. That's all. I, that's all I can say. If there's anvils there, then we've been there. So I know exactly uh, where you're talking about. Okay. All right. Oh, there you go. Thank you for your purchase and have a nice day. Thank you very much. Dave, where can people find you online, and do you want them to? <laughs> uh, absolutely do want them to, please. Um, I, I can tell you, yes. Um, head over to YouTube. I'm Dave Lee Down Under. Um, otherwise, you can find me on um, on Twitter, on Instagram, at Dave Lee Down Under, but kind of drop the vowels from the Down Under, Dave Lee, D-W-N. U-N-D-R. So there are some vowels in there, but drop the O and the E, essentially. <laughs> um, just search Dave Lee Dan under, you'll find me. I'm on there. I'm on the I'm on the internet. I'm all over there. So, uh, yeah, I post videos uh, a few times a week. Uh, usually when I'm working on one of my evolution videos, which takes like two weeks to make, there's probably a little bit less content. Uh, the front part of the month is usually heavier on content. As I said, evolution videos once a month on the first Tuesday of every month. And then I, I follow that up with what's called a voice evolution. So it's essentially um, taking a look at how the character's voice has developed over time by playing clips from essentially everything, almost everything the character's been in. And what I'm doing now is a series of companion videos as well, uh, which kind of goes alongside it. So stuff like I did a, a Wiley Coyote fail count. It's like a 30-minute video with 641 of the classic fails, just like all the classic fails. Um, I'm launching a video next week, actually, which is um, a compilation of Bugs Bunny and Drag, uh, which which is quite a lot of fun to put together. That's perfect. Um, Just stuff like that. So, yeah, you can find me over on YouTube and and all over the the webs if you just search Dave Lee down under. That's fantastic. And I highly recommend all of our listeners go check out Dave over there on YouTube. He's got some really great content up there. 
not only for Warner Brothers animation fans, but for Disney animation fans and the like. Uh, you can follow our show on podbean.com backslash this means podcast on Twitter at this means pod and Instagram at this means podcast as well. Uh, thank you for being on the show, Dave. I really appreciate it. Brilliant. And thanks for having me. As you all know, that's not all, folks.